Well, good morning. Um, hope that you are doing well. Uh, I said this to the first service, and I know I have a biased opinion, but man, I just, when I see that, I just love our church. I'm just so thankful uh, for what God is, is doing at all of our campuses, and I've been in ministry for a long time. I have, brother, um, I have two brother-in-laws that they're in ministry, and what God is doing at this place and at all of our campuses and our church is, uh, man, it's a God thing. And um, like, I don't know about you, like there's times where like me and son say this, I'm like, do I need to like be pinched? <laughs> you know, like what is God doing? It almost feels like a dream in some regards, but it is just so awesome. And I, and I know that is just a little snippet of a lot of the stories that people at all of our campuses are experiencing. And I love what he's just doing. And so this morning, as Matt said, we are kicking off uh, this, this series that we've titled One, but it's really so much more than just a three-week series. If you were here a couple years ago, we did a two-year initiative called All In, um, kind of the same vein as that, but totally different, is that this is really going to be a direct challenge to us and really the intentionality that we have in our church, but also in our communities and the people that we encounter so they can come to know Jesus. And that it's not just this one kind of thing over here, like, hey, let me kind of do this. But it is so much bigger, this God-sized vision to say, okay, what, what's going on here, God? How, how are you going to use us in this? And so you will hear over the next few weeks, really some of the same leg, language that's going to propel us, not only these three weeks of the series, but really into the next two years. And who knows um, from there, but really three main focuses. One is one church that we're going to talk about today, how we can be unified as a church. Um, the second, one prayer. And that's really uh, us single-handedly praying together, God, just use us. Just be, we just want to be available. And then the third one is one life of, okay, who is someone that God has put in my life um, that I can share the gospel with? Not in like a weird way. You know, I think so often we think that sharing the gospel is like in this weird thing, but that we can begin to pray for and begin to really be intentional with the person or people in our lives that God has placed there um, to do that. And so we're going to be journeying through this over the next few weeks, the next couple of years. Um, but as you walked in, as Matt says, you got one of these books. This is a great resource. It explains a couple of the things um, that we're going to be really focusing on. You can read some of that this afternoon before you take your Sunday afternoon nap. Can I get an amen? All right. Uh, hey, man. All right. Uh, so read some of that just so there's just some things that really, though we're starting today, our staff and, and our pastors have been praying for this moment um, for at least six months, if not longer, and really praying that God just does an incredible movement amongst our church. But if you turn to page 24, you will see in this, I don't know if you're a note taker, but maybe this is a good time to start. You will see each week we'll have um, some, note, uh, some note pages where you can follow along with the message each morning, kind of write some notes. And I would encourage you to do that. Write down some things as God is speaking to you, write them down. Maybe it's something I say or something that's in scripture that you just want to highlight. Um, I know it's, it's good that I talk really fast and it goes by super quick. And sometimes I say things that I'm like, I don't even know if I uh, understand what I just said. And so it's good to go back and say, okay, let me kind of 
meditate on that a little bit. Let me kind of process those things. So use this as a book. And there's also, if you're in a small group, there's a small group section towards the back um, where we will navigate each week in our small groups. And we'd love for you to be involved in that. If However I can help, let me know. But super pumped. And I'm glad you're here. If you're a first-time guest, man, you picked a great Sunday to be here. I know it can be overwhelming being a guest because you don't know what to expect. And um, you, you might think, are we going to start dancing and playing with snakes? And then it just gets weird. Um, but uh, I hope that you see that we are a church that, while we have multiple campuses, we are one church. And we honestly mean that. Um, and while we might have a little bit different demographic personality and flavor, our mission is the same. And we want to connect people with Jesus. So, um, so anyway, uh, say all that. It's kind of business stuff. Um, I love this story, even though it's kind of tragic, uh, but in the year 252, there was this plague that really uh, ravished or savaged the Roman Empire, and it came in and was just taking out, causing all kind of deaths and sickness, uh, especially in the city of Rome, and uh, the citizens, the community there they really wrestled and struggled with this plague for approximately 10 years. And at the height of this plague in the city of Rome by itself, it is recorded that around 5,000 people died a day. And so it was just wiping out families left and right. And what we see in historical documents is even in the midst of this plague, for a period of 10 years, the Christians became so unified that they stood out. And they were, the way that they loved for people, the way that they served the community, the things that they just did, really, uh, because they were so unified, they were one church in this mission together. We have letters upon letters and historical documents that talks about how they gathered and unified and made a difference. And so I say that as a springboard because this morning we're going to talk about being one church. You, you saw the kind of video in it, but really this is the heart of who we are as believers. Beyond just our church or our campus, man, who God is calling us to be. And we see this practically. There's this guy named um, Dionysus. In the year 260, he wrote this really exhaustive letter in this comparison in the midst of this plague of how the Christians behaved and how the non-Christians Behaved. And I wanted to read this to you. I've read this. It's probably been a couple years. Uh, I just think it's really powerful um, of the time. But this is what uh, he was a bishop in Alexandria, part of Egypt. This is what he writes. He says, the Christian brothers showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life supremely happy. For they were infected by others with a disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many, in nursing and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their steed. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. And a number of um, presbyters and deacons and laymen, they were winning high reward so that death, um, from death in this form and the result of great piety and strong faith seems in every way to equal their martyrdom. 
And then he says this, the heathen, they behaved the very opposite way. And on the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and they fled from their dearest, throwing them, get this, throwing them into the roads before they were even dead and treating unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread of the contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. So here you have Christians who, in the midst of this this detrimental plague in the city of Rome and the Roman Empire, the Christians stood up, unified together, and said, you know what? Our faith is strong, and we're going to go, and we're just going to serve and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Here's the mission. It's bigger than, than my safety or whatever. We're just going to take care of people. And by that, many of them died at the hand of this disease. But then he says, but the heathen, man, they were like throwing out people on the street, just leaving them to die, treating them like dirt. And I use that as an illustration because, and you're going to hear this statement a lot, but when the church is unified, the mission is maximized. We're going to say this through this series probably a lot. You'll probably be sick of it. Um, if, if you could be like me. The first time I said it, I totally botched it and said that when the church is unified, that the mission is maxified, which that's not a word, okay? So anyway, when we were doing some of these uh, filmings, I was like, I was like, I'm not going to say that because we were making fun of us saying that, mix, mixing it up. And I got on there and it took me like four takes to get it right, okay? And, um, but think about this statement. When the church is unified together, the mission is maximized. When the disciples were with Jesus and he ascended into heaven and he says, hey, go therefore and tell all the nations, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were so unified in that mission. And we see, you can read the book of Acts, it's very interesting, that they start the early church. Well, Jesus ascends, you have the time of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, the early church starts, and the believers are, they have everything in common, it says. They're unified together, and, and the verse says, I love it, it's like my favorite passage, says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So because of their unity, because of their community and being sold out to each other and to the mission, God was at work. Lives are being radically changed. And then there was a seed planted in that moment. And as the church grew, as people's lives changed, as they um, experienced God firsthand, they would go out and tell their neighbors. They would tell their family members. They would tell their friends. And before too long, the church spread like wildfire. And they believed in the mission. They were unified, and that mission was maximized. Now think about this. Let's just practically think about this. In our families, man, when we're unified together, doing something is so easy. But when our families are like on different pages, it's really hard to uh, accomplish the mission. Think about this. Have you ever been in this moment? I know you have, so don't lie. You're in church, okay? You've been in this moment where you're like, where are we going to eat tonight? And now if everybody's like, let's go to Chick-fil-A, that sounds good. It's the easiest mission on the face of the planet. You go, and you're probably a creature of habit, and you get the same thing all this other time, you know. But then 
If you bring it up to your family and go, hey, where y'all want to go to eat? And one person says, I really want to go to Five Guys. I'm just craving a burger. You know, like give me uh, one of those burgers and fries. And then you have someone else who's like, yeah, you know, let's go to Zaxby's. I'm kind of wanting chicken. All of a sudden, now your family's in turmoil, and that mission is not easy. You're on different pages. Are you following me? Anybody else hungry? Me too. My, I can hear my stomach, okay? And so you think about that, and it's like before too long, you just argue about it for an hour, and now you're all eating bologna sandwiches at home, all right? And, but the thing about it, as the church, it's so much bigger, but when we, when we are unified together like the early church, man, we are unstoppable. God can do amazing, amazing things in our church, and that's what we're praying through this. And the Apostle Paul, we, we come to this a letter to the church of Ephesus. And Paul has spent three chapters, chapter one, two, and three of his letter, or what we call chapters, really explaining some doctrinal stuff. It's pretty deep theological things. And he kind of explains this, but then beginning in chapters four, five, and six, he unpacks what does it practically look like if we believe this, how, how does that flesh out in our lives? Because we can't just believe it, we actually have to do it and take some action in it. And so he starts to unpack these things, and he knew the importance of this unity. We see all throughout his letters that Paul was big. Anywhere, any church he planted, that he visited, he preached, he taught, he discipled, all those things, he talked about unity. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. It will also be on the screen Paul knew that this was not only just a foundation, but a top priority for, for believers. And this is what he says, chapter 4, starting in verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of calling to which you have been called. We'll talk about that in a second. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So what the first thing that we see that we are united together by unity of our calling. We're united in our calling. Now, when you hear the word calling, it kind of sounds a little churchy, right? That when we're united in calling, it kind of seems like that applies to the pastors. Like, this is my calling. Like, I took a vow to be a pastor, and that's my calling. What Paul is talking about here is the calling to God, a calling to a relationship with God. It, so it applies to everybody. It applies to every single person who is a believer. You are called to him. And under the umbrella of God's grace, that when we recognize, hey, my sin has separated me from God. I need Jesus, and I want to spend eternity with, with God in heaven. And we give up and surrender our lives to him. We come in. That's the calling. God calling us to him and recognizing that grace. So as believers, no matter what church you go to, we are united in that calling. Now, that is that calling isn't dependent on how you grew up, your background, uh, your gifts, or anything. It is anyone who says, God, 
uh, you know, I, I, I have received salvation because of Jesus in my relationship with God. We're under that umbrella. And so we're united together in that calling. Now, in chapters 1 and 2, Paul lays that out. I don't have enough time to go into it, but he talks about things like, hey, there's one God. That we're united because we believe that God is the God of salvation. That the maker and creator of everything on this earth is the God of salvation through Jesus, who sent Jesus, all those things. It's not a plurality of gods. We don't believe in multiple gods. He is the God. The second thing that Paul kind of talks about in chapters 1 and 2 is that we're family. He talks about how under God's grace that we are adopted as sons and daughters. So... While we might at times seem like a dysfunctional family, and there's always a cousin Eddie or two or three in every church, okay, is that we are called together as family. That unites us in this calling. And then because of that, he calls us to live together, to be family, to do life together, to be on mission together, to to serve this community together. This isn't a one-person show. You know, I know it's cliche. There's no I in team. We, We are a team together. So everything that we do as a church, whether it's this campus or Harrison Bridge or Malden or Anderson or downtown Simpsonville, we do this together. We are united in this family and in this calling. And the early church got that. They understood that they were together and it brought them together. And for the sake of the gospel, that was their main priority. They said, hey, we're not going to be divided by socioeconomic status. We're not going to be, you know, separated and divisive because you have this opinion and I have this opinion. What brings us together is the gospel. And here's the unfortunate thing in the world that we live in is that unfortunately too many Christian um, and Christ followers replace their calling with the corruptive uh, propaganda really of this world that instead we rob the world of the message of Jesus Christ. And so I know it's a mouthful, but what ends up happening is we say, hey, I know God's called us to this, but I want to live under what the world says. And so this, all these things over here speak louder in our lives than the gospel. We're more known for the way that we live, the house we live in, the job that we have, the way we vote, all the, team, the sports team that we follow. We're known about all these things over here other than the gospel. Man, if you want to start a church fight, get a Gamecock fan and a Clemson fan in the same room and just see what happens, you know? And, and you can start a fight. And maybe not this year, I don't know. But, you know, like, it just, it, those things cannot separate us. And they didn't separate them then. And that's because for you and I, we have to understand that we are called to be world changers, not world chasers. We can't chase the things of these world, this, this world and be unified. we got to chase um, who Jesus is and that he will change our neighbors, our friends, our family members, all of those things. And so that's all uh, under this umbrella of that we are united in this calling. He says, walk in a manner worthy of this calling by which you have been called. But then he says also that we're un- united in belief. We are united in belief. Paul talks about, hey, there's one body, one spirit. We're called to one hope that belongs to your call. They're tied together, our calling and belief. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father, 
of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And this is really, some scholars say that this is like an early Christian creed, if you will, that these are all key principles of the Christian faith that brought them together. So not only are their lives changed by Jesus and that unites them, but now their faith and what they believe in these core principles of the Christian walk, hey, that's uniting them together to say, hey, these things bring us together. These are the gospel. They drew them together. It was diverse. There were different opinions. There was different jobs and different backgrounds, but they were unified in saying, hey, this is the mission. This is the gospel, and we are united in that, and we're going to do everything possible for those things of the world not to get in our way, and we're going to go because of our faith. We're going to do this together. Now, let's be honest. So many churches so often get sidetracked and have sideways energy in the mission of what God calls us to do by arguing about things that are just opinions and aren't really important, important things, but they're just things that are opinions that might be important to a, one person or two people or three people or whatever, and this wasn't the case of the early church. And so the question becomes, okay, that sounds really good. You're united in calling and belief, but how do we maintain the unity? How do we come and say, hey, we want to maintain unity in our church? Because if you think about it, in our context, having five campuses, it could be super easy to buy into the lie that, hey, Five Forks is so much better than Harrison Bridge. And that wouldn't be a lie. That's true, okay? But uh, that's a joke, all right? But now listen, we cannot be as a church to say Five Forks is the best place and it's, it's everything. Man, what happens at Harrison Bridge is just as important as what happens here. What happens downtown is just as important to what is happening here. This morning, Anderson is celebrating a baptism. That's your church. That's not, oh, that church over there. We're one church, so we celebrate that together because really, if you think about it, two, three, four, in our case, five combined influences are greater than just five influences. And so we're in this together. And so how do we maintain that unity? Well, Paul gives some insight and he says this, if you look in chapter, uh, verse two and three, he says, okay, you're called together in this unity. And he says, with all humility gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so the first thing that Paul points to is that we maintain unity by our conduct, by our Christian character. Man, it, it is our hope. It should be our goal when we wake up in the morning, our desire to say, you know what, I need to be more like Jesus today. Will we fall on our face sometimes? Absolutely. We're going to make mistakes. But it should be a desire that I want to be more like Jesus. And that's fleshed out in our life. Now, you know, I'm a visual learner. Okay, so um, I, I have a little illustration um, in this. Do y'all know what this is? Scale. All right, good. So funny story about this. We were in teaching team this week. And all the, if you don't know, all the teaching pastors get in a room on Thursdays. And we talked about this illustration and so me and Dallas and uh, Ashley at our Malden campus, we were going to use 
uh, we were trying to find a scale. So I was like, let me look online. Who has a scale? You know, I'm thinking Hobby Lobby. They didn't have it, you know. So I'm like, where do you find a scale? So I found one at Kirkland's. All right, ladies, y'all will love this, okay? So I found one at Kirkland's, and they had three left. So I ordered them online, in-store pickup. I get to Kirkland's, and uh, it was like this huge, ornate thing. It was like perfect. Well, it was a non-functional balance scale or whatever. So it like looked like it, but it was like static. It didn't move. So, and so I'm like, okay, this is not going to work, right? This is all Dallas's fault. So anyway, I like, I'm like, okay, do you have one that actually balances? And she's like, no, no, but we have a gold one over there. I'm like, that's not going to do me any, any good. So anyway, I had a, uh, I'm borrowing this from a local school. All right. So, but think about this. When Paul says, we are called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. In the original language, what he means there is that our life should be one of balance, really, in our walk with God. And when it comes to our conduct, so often this is what ends up happening in our lives. Okay, track with me here for a second. Hopefully you can see this. We are really good at the belief section, right? We have these core principles of our faith. Okay, first, there's one God. All right, we believe God is the God of the crea- is the creator. He created everything. We don't understand everything, but he's he's God. So, that that's a core principle of the Christian faith. We would also say in the Christian faith the core principle is to recognize sin. Sin entered into our world. We all deal with sin. None of us are perfect and God is. And so, sin separated us from a relationship with God. So God's perfect. He's holy. <laughs> We're not. We're over here. And that's all because of sin. That's, that's a key principle. We also say part of our beliefs is in order for that gap between us and God and that separation to be bridged, we need a Savior. We need Jesus. That's why he came. He died on the cross. He was fully God and fully man. He died on the cross for our sins and three days later rose again. Man, that's a huge belief. All right. So he did that. That's a principle. We also need to give our lives to Christ. That means that we surrender ourselves, and now we are renewed in our hearts and our minds because of Jesus, and so we follow after him. Jesus says, in order for you to be my disciple, you must deny yourself and follow me. And so, okay, that's a huge one. And then you could throw in a bunch of different things, but just for, you know, there's one. We, we could say prayer is a huge belief. You could talk to God. You don't have to go through a priest. Uh, reading your Bible is important. Uh, it's God's word. It's an errant. All these different things. So you have this. Now, here's where many people, especially in the Bible Belt, this is where we stop. We believe all those things, but that's it. And now we're out of balance. And you and I both know there are plenty of people in our world that believe all those things. But what's missing is their conduct. Their actions don't match their belief. And you and I know this. Like I've, I, go, I run into people all the time that, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to so-and-so church. I'm like, oh, really? And then they don't look like it, not in a judgmental way. They don't live like it. You know, they don't talk like it. There's nothing that's in a priority of their, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. Yeah, 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 yeah. When's the last time you went to church? I don't know. Okay, what, when's the last time you read the Bible? I don't know. You know, whatever. And so it's out of whack. And what Paul is saying is that our conduct to bring unity should be one that has gentleness. It should be one that's filled with patience. We should bear one another in love. We should have humility. 
right? We should extend grace. We should offer forgiveness because of God's forgiveness to us. Then we should, hey, we should be people who love our neighbors well and are bringing unity in the bond of peace. And now all of a sudden our life is in balance and our actions match our beliefs. And that's what Paul is saying. You maintain the unity by your conduct. We should be living this life, not just a one-sided belief and no actions to back it up. We should be doing, uh, having a balanced life where our actions and our beliefs speak for themselves. And then finally, and I have to speed this up, sorry I'm running over a little bit, is that Paul then, I'm I'm not going to read it all, but he goes into and he talks about how God has given us gifts. And in verse 11, he says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith. And he goes on, he talks about whom we're all one body, we're joined and held together by every joint in which we are equipped and which each part is working properly. And when we're working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so we maintain the unity by our conduct, but we also maintain the unity by contribution. The early church, they didn't just come and consume. They didn't sit on the sidelines and say, oh, that's real nice. I'll just, no. I mean, they were hard workers. They participated in the mission. They got their hands dirty. They said, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes. There's a need over there. I'm going to meet it. I'm going to serve. I'm going to go. Their life was on the line. And I think so often you and I use the excuse of, let me pray about it. There's nothing to pray about. We're called to step up and to do something, to participate, to contribute. And, and I'm going I'm to leave with this just for time's sake. If you really think about it, I know this is going to be a harsh statement, but passivity kills unity. Passivity kills unity. Oh, someone else will do it. You know what? It's not just not my time. Let me get more plugged in a little bit more. Man, get your hands dirty. Passivity kills unity. And I know it's like the 80-20 rule. You probably have heard it, but I would say it's pretty a fair assessment that 20% of the people at our church do 80% of the work. Now, what if everybody's hands were on deck? So don't be passive. Contribute to the mission. Man, step up. Bring unity. uh, Unity is our responsibility. And we need to be a part of that, that we are one church. It's not them versus us. We're all in this together. And can you imagine the day that every single one of us are playing our part, using the gifts that God has given us and contributing in such a way that lives are radically changed. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful that we can be unified in you. The truth and reality is that we would never be unified in the world that we live in, in such a divisive place that has so many different opinions about things. But God, your spirit unifies us. And so God, let us step into that unity by our conduct and by contributing to the mission. And over the next couple of weeks, whatever that looks like, God, will you make it clear as day how we can be involved in what you are doing? Let us not just be spectators. Let us participate and not just step really out of obedience as to what you're calling us to do. Let us step into obedience and say, God, however you need to use us and use me, I want to be used. 
I want to see people's lives radically changed and unite us in that mission together. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. And let's stand up and celebrate as we close and worship together.